Hi, this is Gillian Riley and Jen Warren. Courageous Conversations is a series exploring the art of showing up authentically in our everyday spaces. Welcome to the third episode of Courageous Conversations. Today we're speaking with Kyan Schultz from the South African Education Project about the concepts of courage, bravery, and masculinity. Upon first meeting, one might consider Kyan an unconventional troublemaker, but through this conversation, you'll get a glimpse of how he approaches conversations in his daily life with reflection and deep listening. So we're here today talking about the subject of being a courageous man with Kyan Schultz. Kyan, you and I met through a strategic planning process that I was facilitating for your organization, South African Education Project. Could you maybe tell everybody a little bit more about speaking up or speaking out? In one of the troublemakers retreats, you asked a question around your troublemaking style. And I think that quite nicely summarized it. For me, there was this reflectiveness. It can come out as trying to have a different opinion, trying to sort of second guess what other people are thinking. But I think the constructive side of it is trying to look at things from different points of view. That's the way I'm framing it at the moment is, yes, I definitely come at things which I think people are talking about in one particular way, and I hope that they can see it in in other ways at the same time. In my experience, you're rarely the loudest person in the room or the most vocal, and yet when you speak, people listen because the questions you ask the points of reflection that you pose are ones that are usually useful and necessary. So I think it's interesting and when we talk about the concept of troublemaking, which people often associate with shouting and, you know, making your presence felt in a very vocal and visible way. For me, you're the, as you said, reflective, quiet instigator, which reminds me that there are all sorts of different ways to have a courageous conversation, if you will. Like many people, we have different experiences in different moments. Mm. I mean, I certainly can be vocal. I think that there's a lot of people being vocal at the moment and there's Mm. not a lot of listening. You know, the things that I admire the most in other people are the people who take time to pause, to to consider, to think and reflect. Mm. And so that, I guess, is part of myself that I want to grow. There's an intimacy in getting very personal within a professional space. There's an intimacy in bringing more of yourself to a public conversation, which I suppose, given the traditional male and female roles, that might be considered off-putting or unacceptable for some men to say, it's not only okay to bring more of yourself, it's necessary for you to be more effective, in our cases, change agents. That intersection between the personal and the professional, how have you experienced that? Watched yourself, if you will, navigating that path of bringing more of your own self into your role at SAEP and and beyond? It is interesting, I think partly because of the vulnerability that's required. And I think that that was very much something that came out of Troublemakers, but something that I've I think you have to hold on to quite strongly and surround yourself with people who identify that value as important. In my experience, yeah, essentially seeing vulnerability as a strength and then using that within an organization is, is hard, but something which you need to crystallize and in the way that you talk about it. So, I mean, in an organization, what that means is putting yourself in conversations that feel uncomfortable in 
situations where you might have power in a room but you choose not to use that quite recently we've been having a lot of conversations about race within the organization mm -hmm. and I think it's very difficult to enter those conversations you know really being willing to be vulnerable in that space and yeah I think in terms of masculinity is not something which has traditionally been associated with masculinity and so I think that's sometimes more difficult for men to engage in that to me, courageous conversations are just what you describe, the ability to put anger uh, out in a way, or the, the emotions or the issues that lead to anger out in a way that allows them to, to grow into something else, to lead to something else. How do we do that? You talked about creating a space where people could feel safe, if you will, sharing their feelings, whether it's anger, and for me, it's close cousin, fear, I think anger and fear are very much wrapped up in each other and our ability to share them and receive them distinguishes conversations from being destructive or constructive. Do you have examples or ideas around how we take those emotions and create spaces where they can be shared and used, if you will, to move on to something together? It's hard because different people arrive at the conversation in different places. I think it's quite easy to be less angry if it affects you less directly. Mm. And so a lot of people arrive at a conversation feeling unheard and thus angry and perhaps afraid and vulnerable. Difficult conversations often start in very uncomfortable ways. I think there's often a moment in that conversation where you can see a shift from where a space might feel very much like people are trying to put their perspective across and try to be heard to suddenly there is a recognition that this is a problem, that you are being heard, uh, but now we can move past the sim simple sense of expressing the fact that I'm angry to expressing the fact that, you know, now we can actually work towards something that would make sense for all of us. I think the moment that often shifts it is when people, A, hear, but B, respond with vulnerability and concern. Mm. I think genuine concern is a rare thing. When somebody's angry, it's very easy to talk about the facts of the matter, but to express concern for that person and empathy for their experience is, I think, much harder, particularly when you might feel under attack. You know, what courageous conversations means to me is in a moment, in a difficult conversation, there are people across the table looking at you angrily you can sense the mood is heated everybody is responding to everybody else in that moment to be able to take your own temperature and actually to respond from a very personal perspective and to recognize that that is happening in that moment to say this feels very uncomfortable that is often the hardest thing to do instead of talking about things that are outside the room talk about things that are inside the room in that moment i think that an entire conversation can tilt on one person saying that. The introduction of owned emotion, of felt emotion into a conversation, the, the acknowledgement of your own experience of it, how you're reacting to it. At times our willingness to acknowledge how we're feeling begins to shift the tone of the conversation away from a intellectual exercise to two humans trying to connect around a shared understanding and a shared experience. In my experience, when you acknowledge that, when you say, I'm scared, <laughs> people immediately begin to relate to you as another human being. 
they understand because we all feel those things. But owning that and, as you say, not describing it as an emotion that sits outside of the room, but something that's here now between us takes us together into a, a place where we can acknowledge the challenges and use them as opposed to seeing them as a barrier to us connecting around something that we could do together. But that's not easy. <laughs> If you think about the things that you are the most scared of saying, sometimes those are the most important things to say. The things that, if you think about saying them, make your voice feel tiny, those are the things that need to be said the most. Obviously, I think the caveat to that is that it needs to come out in a way which is respectful of the people involved. But I think that's what scares people, is that if I say this thing, it's going to be uncontainable. It, but it's funny how it actually just takes away the power of that thing. It becomes you know, less of a myth and more of a thing that you can deal with. I was thinking the other day as a writer, we have a creative process and we have an editorial process. And the, the number one lesson in writing is put your editor aside when it's time to be creative and then know when you need to switch on your editor many, many drafts later. And I think a lot of us spend a lot of time editing ourselves and never allowing ourselves to engage in the creative process with other people of bringing our thoughts and our beliefs and as you say having faith that together with respect we can use those constructively. The reason for the editing I think is because as you've said we're afraid that those things will be destructive or that they won't be recognized. There isn't a not dealing with the other person option. It's already affecting you. Right. So I guess the question is, what's already happening? And recognize that. Start with that. The most honorable or noble starting point is really to try and take ownership of the things that you can take ownership for, but to bring them up. You describe that owning, owning your experience, owning yourself fully and being willing to do that publicly. And that for me is the definition of bravery. How do you react to that notion of bravery? What's your own definition of bravery? If it's of course, traditionally a very masculine trait, the willingness to take risks and face down physical danger. What we're talking about is something quite different. It's almost like flipping the script on bravery and saying the bravest thing to do is to be vulnerable. The bravest thing to do is to own who you are regardless of the consequences. What's your own experience with the concept of bravery and how you explore it in your own life? It is very gendered, the word bravery. And I think that's part of the problem, I guess, in that a lot of people, to them, bravery is quite hard. I think men have a hard version of bravery. It's almost, you used the word vulnerability and humility, I think, is another part of that. Feeling like it's not about trying to show up in front of other people, not trying to show how good you are to other people. So in terms of masculinity, I think for men in particular, feeling okay not having the answers, feeling okay not having to contain other people. Because so much of male identity is built around the notion of protecting. You know, to be vulnerable doesn't really help you to protect other people in the sort of traditional framing. So to be able to take on that recognition that if we were in the wild, physically protecting would be the right situation, but that metaphor doesn't work anymore. You can't protect people, you can't stand in front of them. You, that's patronizing. The idea of taking on other people's burdens or doing things for them or putting yourself in front of them. So yeah, I think that it's very difficult for men to take that on. 
I mean, my own personal experience is that I've never been traditionally hugely masculine. You know, in some sense, you feel outside of a group because of that. It's difficult for men to start to build us into their identities because to some extent it does also mean not always feeling part of a group of other men, not always feeling like you know, everything that you're supposed to be in terms of masculine ideals. And yet, at the same time, it's also the thing that I think a lot of people appreciate about me is that I think the vulnerability then links to kindness. And it's a lot easier, I think, to be kind once you're able to be vulnerable. And I think a lot of challenges around masculinity these days are that men aren't always able to be kind. They don't always know how to be kind. Perhaps it starts with being able to be vulnerable oneself to be able to then allow others to be vulnerable. That's the key. Are you willing to be the one in the room, in the conversation to unlock the potential vulnerability with between and among whoever is there because I agree with you it takes a person with a willingness to do that it's a very human conversation it's one that recognizes the many many different aspects of our lived experience from professional to personal from being mothers to bosses and yet I feel that while your roles are getting challenged and disrupted there isn't a conversation about it there isn't a, a safe space for you online or in person to acknowledge the profound challenges of navigating the changing nature of masculinity. And therefore, as you say, it's a kind of lonely experience. And yet, where do those voices find a community or a dialogue to slot into to work through these things? Because it can feel like you're alone. I think the danger for me is you never want to claim too much of the negative experience recognizing that there's so much gender inequality and that we don't need to foreground always the struggle of men in that space. I guess because we're really trying to foreground the important conversations about women's rights, sometimes it's easy to assume that men are comfortable with the way things are. A lot of men are deeply unhappy and I think that's not recognized in that conversation. But I think the starting point is to recognize that men are not always doing okay. Some people react angrily, as you said earlier, anger and fear are sometimes related. And I really want to believe that there are positive roles, positive communities that we can develop, spaces which we can redefine what kinds of masculinity we want to keep and what kinds of masculinity we want to change to recognize, I think, that whether it's within the education system and men doing worse now, actually in universities more and more, simply the fact that more men end up committing crimes and end up going to jail is in itself a problem. And I think we need to see what ways in which those things can be changed. I feel frustration that as it relates to male criminality, as it relates to violence against women, there aren't more men either already in positions of public leadership willing and able to stand up and say we are leading a conversation we are leading the process why do you think that is a lot of what feminism recognizes is that some of the challenges that we've experienced in the past have been because of a significant male leadership and some of what feminism does is create female-dominated spaces and, and to, in a sense, rectify power imbalances that have existed in the past. I don't think that has to be at the detriment of other spaces focusing on other issues which tackle men's challenges and people who do see the current system as a problem, many of whom 
see their role as being allies. I think that it is an important thing to do, though, and I think, as you're saying, you know, if anything, we're definitely seeing a lack of courageous male conversations around those kinds of issues. I'm seeing some of them. It's not that there's nothing happening. And I don't want to make it the only conversation. I think Chimamanda Adichie says a beautiful thing about single stories where she says, you know, the problem isn't that a story is you know, wrong, it's usually that it's incomplete. I walk into a given room and, and 90% of the questions asked are by white men and often the speakers are white men. And I think some white men have then decided that their role is in a sense to try and combat that by reserving their own voice simply because they know that their voice will already come up through another white man who will be perfectly comfortable to say what they might already be feeling. I'm personally struggling with that. When is me stepping back the bravest thing I can do? And when is me engaging the bravest thing I can do? Because I don't think that it's always obvious one way or the other. There's no red light, green light. There's no, you know, stop, go, do this now, don't do this then. You know, you want to draw a diagram and say, this is when you need to show up and this is when you need to back off. And that is all of our challenge. I mean, I feel that every day, every week, as I become more aware, why did I choose to back off from that situation? And yet in another situation, I felt much more both comfortable and compelled to step forward a little bit, to nudge it a bit. So on the one hand, I think part of it's also about recognizing ego. I think sometimes what bravery shouldn't mean is saying something because you want to be the one to have said it or you want other people to observe you saying it. Possibly that also is important, I think, for men in particular because historically men do dominate conversations and sometimes it's not focusing on what the purpose of engaging is. If the purpose of engaging is this thing needs to be said in this space, otherwise these things are possibly not going to happen, or I need to say this because when other people see me saying this, it's going to help them to recognize my experience or something that they might be missing. Those are quite brave reasons to say something, but if your reason to say something is, look how smart I am, for example, if that's the script that's running through your head, then that can be quite a dangerous way of invoking the bravery narrative to do something which is actually not brave. So that's the one thing, and I think particularly important when we're trying to create spaces for other voices, differing voices. The other one is just about showing up. I mean, particularly at the moment, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, I guess, is the, the challenge for me. If, if there's a, a kind of a rote script that other people have written and that you see as the right script and you simply want to perpetuate, it's not as vulnerable as saying, you know, perhaps these are the things I think. Because then, then it's you, suddenly. If you're putting yourself out there, if you're saying, you know, my opinion on this issue is X, Y, and Z. If you don't engage, you don't give yourself the opportunity to be vulnerable, and then you're not really being honest or trusting the people that you're with. And that's, that's really, I guess, one of the things that, that upsets me quite a lot. I just see the reduced potential for human connection with people not really not really fully showing up they're showing up with parts of themselves and they're they're allowing people to see the parts of them that they think are the most acceptable to those people which is really sad i think you know not showing up is editing and shape-shifting to be what i think you want me to be we do it a lot as women and men i think we do it a lot professionally and I think we use jargon as our script and we just start foregrounding those things. And I know, because I did it for a lot of my life, it's an exhausting process to anticipate what you think somebody else wants of you 
and then to try and become that person and continue questioning, is this what they want? You find yourself disappearing in the process of trying to become something that you think you should be. And so much of what we're exploring is that process of trying to show up every day, both to somebody else and with somebody else who might be doing that themselves, because it's also a case of creating space for others to do that with you. And what is it? If I had to say, what does it take to show up? What would your answer be? Being able to be silly. I mean, part of it's playing, part of it's vulnerability, but, you know, within work, it's, it can spark creativity. There's a, an abundance of human characters that we miss out on because everybody's trying to be the same set of five or six characters and sometimes it's about being able to be bizarre it's not necessarily seeing normal as good and it's not something I've been able to do for very much of my life I think I'm the more comfortable I get the more bizarre I get because I start to see that who I can be as being a good thing so yeah showing up for me has been about being able to walk into the office and make jokes that nobody else gets <laughs> and laugh at them. People are immensely guarded when they don't know what the heck they're dealing with. And if they're dealing with somebody who's pretty much exactly like everybody else, I don't think they often trust you as much as if they see your weird quirks. You know, once people can sort of see your character, and character is never perfect, it's always you know, angular and, and can be uncomfortable. It's not feeling that you need to be perfect in every way or that, that everything that somebody else doesn't like about you is going to be a bad thing about who you are. That's the grand hypothesis here, that by being more human, by being more personal, we actually show up better in whatever our public professional capacity is, that we can't and we shouldn't separate them because in doing so we lose our magic and we could be anybody. And that's the part that I'm exploring and learning from every day is that interplay. Yeah. Often there's a lot going on with people that we don't see and the more opportunities we allow for play and for showing up, the more we see and starting to see some of those, those dynamics there really helps you to see what why certain things are um, are not happening. Yeah, I, the more people feel comfortable and show up, the more these sort of hidden things which are definitely affecting the environment that you're in, they become visible. This sounds like nice to do, but in a world with as much challenge and suffering and persistent social problems, you really, you're actually suggesting that this is a game changer? that by telling people to show up more, that's gonna make a difference. And my answer is yes, I actually do. I truly, deeply believe that owning of a self and that owning of experience and belief and passion and principle is the game changer. Because I think we're currently operating on sort of 40% of our magic. And in any system, in any organization, in any community, we're just getting the surface of people's capabilities and abilities to start to shift their own environments most profoundly. When each one of us starts to nurture this intimate activism, this changing self in order to change the world, we will begin to see the kinds of broader changes that we're actually hoping for. I get the impression that to some extent what needs to happen is that people need to be playing and exploring and creating and adapting things 
all over the world in different places and in different communities and so there isn't with all these the problems that have been mentioned there isn't a way of solving it that goes you know we've just got to knuckle down and work changing self to change the world is part of the message of troublemakers and to me what's powerful about it is that it grants people agency whereas i think often in these conversations we think of people as being helpless it's really well intentioned you know to say actually there are these big things like you know the economy or patriarchy or white privilege or whatever it is that's a barrier to achieving the kind of social change that you're trying to achieve these things are definitely real but if we just focus on that we are often denying people agency in their lives and we're assuming that they're helpless to some extent so i really like that about troublemakers the real foregrounding of agency of people believing optimistically that they can be the kinds of people that we need in the world today to make the kinds of changes that we need that optimism i find to be really heartening a belief in people i agree with you that having spent a lot of time in my career trying to change other people <laughs> i arrived at the conclusion that the only thing i could change was myself and that in doing that i would then hopefully perhaps spark a change in whatever conversations I was participating in. And that's the idea. You know, we talk about courageous conversations as a currency for social change, and I truly believe it, because if you break it down, that's all it is. It's our willingness to show up in big and small conversations in a way that starts to shift people's patterns of relating and patterns of engaging. At the end of the day, I think that it locates change where it has to be, which is yourself because that's all you can control. And I think in a world where we increasingly feel out of control, it's critically important to remain very deeply rooted in that or run the risk of a comfortable disengagement from what matters to us most. So thank you for your reflections. These courageous conversations that, you know, the way that you framed it in the community that's been created has really helped to recognize the values you know, that we do need more of. And I appreciate that. So that's it for our conversation with Kyan Schultz. Stay tuned for our next episode when we speak with Melanie Burke, a powerhouse in the Cape Town development community, who while has always been a troublemaker in the professional sense, decided to dig a little deeper in the courageous conversations that she was having at home. That's next time.